Well, a man, after being away on business, decided it would be nice to bring his wife a little gift, and so he stopped by the cosmetics counter and brought his quandary to the clerk. How about some perfume, he asked, and she showed him a bottle that cost $75. He shook his head and said, that's too much. So she returned with a smaller bottle that cost $50. That's still too much. The next bottle was only $15, and he shook his head again. He said, I'd like to see something real cheap. And so the clerk handed him a mirror. (laughs) Well, a man comes to Jesus with a quandary, and he wasn't really pleased with Jesus' answer either. Teacher Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Well, there were laws and cultural guidelines for dividing the inheritance. Jesus refuses to get caught up in this man's family issues, not because he's not compassionate, but because he can see the motivation behind the request. First, Jesus wiggles out of the man's verbal grasp by saying, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he exposed the man's motivation to all of the crowd by saying to all, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable, which we know and have heard as the parable of the quote-unquote rich fool. I wonder if that was part of the inspiration for Leo Tolstoy's story. He wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with what he had. He wanted more of everything. And one day he received a novel offer. For 1,000 rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at his starting point by sundown. And so early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. By midday, he was pretty tired, but he kept going, covering more and more ground. And then into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting point. And so he quickened his pace and walked faster as the sun began to sink low in the sky. And then he began to run, knowing that if he didn't make it by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line Gasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called upon every last bit of strength left in his body, staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. And then he collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth, and in a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, the servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long, and three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Perhaps like Tolstoy, 
Jesus wants us to see ourselves in his parables. That's why he tells them. And since the only person in this parable is the rich fool, you get the uncomfortable idea? (laughs) But as we don't live in an agrarian society, we have little trouble with greed over barns and crops. We can do without silos in our backyards. And so we have to look in a different area to see where this parable pinches us. Alan Culpepper says that one of the things that this parable warns against is uh, security in self-sufficiency. Partnerships are hard to develop. They take time and trust and risk. Many of us find that it's easier to do things ourselves than it is to invite other people to help us. Listen to how many times in these first few, or these, the middle part of the sentences, the parable, that the, um, the rich fool says, I or my, I'll emphasize them just for fun. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, Jesus begins, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Very self-focused. Some of us seek security in our own selves. Some of us seek security in money or possessions like Jesus' anti-role model. Some search for security in what other people think of us or in the things that we do for others. We hope that those things will save us. To those of us who seek security outside of God, Jesus holds up a bright sign saying, security is found nowhere but in God. Security is found nowhere but in God. So where do you look for security? We hear at Standing Rock Reservation that some Native Americans search for security or or think they find security in alcohol. They and others who have been abused or oppressed have learned not to trust others but to try to satisfy themselves. One of the women who is active this week at Standing Rock feels very isolated there because she is seeking to to be a Christian and to live as a Christian, but there are so few people, so few Christians who are willing to actually talk about their faith that it's difficult for her. She hasn't found that support. She said, it's easier for you You have your church and your families. And it made me thankful for my church and my family. And it is easier for us. But that doesn't mean that we don't struggle to be healthy followers of Christ. Greed and self-sufficiency, both of those are challenges for us too because we have a tendency to hold on to what we have, to hold on to it too tightly. And then, of course, the challenge of perpetually wanting more. I read a story about Eunice Pike, who has worked with the Mazatec Indians in southwestern Mexico. 
And while there, she has discovered some interesting things about these people. She has learned that the people seldom wish someone well. And not only that, but they're hesitant to teach one another or to even share the gospel with people they love. If they're asked, who taught you to bake bread? The village baker answers, I just know. Meaning, he has acquired the knowledge without anyone's help. And Eunice Pike says this odd behavior stems from the Indian's concept of limited good. In other words, they believe there's only so much good, only so much knowledge, only so much love to go around. It's limited. So to teach another means that you might drain yourself of knowledge. To love a second child means you have to love the first one less. To wish someone well, have a good day, means you have just given away some of your own happiness, which cannot be reacquired. The difference between greed and generosity may be the same as the difference between fear and faith. Faith tells us that God's love is like an endlessly flowing river. It will never run dry, and there is always plenty of love to share. The grasp of greed is a challenging aspect of this story. And we can ask ourselves, does greed have a hold on us? Maybe it's not so much greed about holding on to money or even possessions, but that knowledge or that love or the blessings, whatever those are that God has given you, your talents. We want to hold on to them, but Jesus is saying, let go. Don't be tight-fisted. Open your palms, open your hands, and share what you have. God said to the man in the story, in the parable, you fool, this very night your life or your soul is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. Now, it's not bad. Jesus is not saying that it's bad to store up things in abundance. We've got other stories in the Bible, like the story of Joseph in Genesis, where he had the dream that the famine was coming, and so he had all the things taken up and stored in silos so that the nation could be fed over those years of famine. But the problem with our rich fool is he wanted it all for himself. He was storing everything for himself and not opening his hands for others. Jesus reminds us that we are made for partnerships, for sharing, for working together. The opposite of greed is generosity, and it's symbolized with our hands. Are we feeling greedy and tight-fisted, or do we want to open our hands and therefore our hearts to others? Jimmy Carter wrote a memoir called An Hour Before Daylight, Memories of a Rural Boyhood. And he said that this was around 1938, and about a fourth of the nation was unemployed, much due to industrialization and mechanization of equipment. 
and tramps would come in the neighborhood and come to the homes. Um, And he, he remembered a time when a neighbor woman said, Um, I sure am glad that they don't come into my yard. And the next time he said that they had some of the vagrant visitors, Mama asked why they had stopped at our house and not others. And after some hesitation, one of them said to her, Ma'am, we have a set of symbols that we use to show the attitude of each family along the road. The post on your mailbox is marked to say that you don't turn people away or mistreat us. And after they were gone, Jimmy Carter said they went out and found some unobtrusive scratches on that mailbox. And he says, and Mama told us not to change them. What markings do people see when they look at you, when they look at me? Are our homes places where we close our fists or open them? What do the markings on our check registers say about whether we depend solely on ourselves or see ourselves in partnership with other people? What does our church budget say about the things that we value and whether our fists are closed or whether our palms are open. The difference between greed and generosity is the same as the difference between fear and faith. Our communion table, every communion table, is a table of faith and generosity. If there's not enough to serve everyone, we'll go downstairs and get some more, We are fortunate to live and to worship in a place of abundance. We have abundant love in this congregation. We have abundant beauty in this place and in each other's faces. We have abundant compassion to share prayer concerns and to take care of others when they're in need. These are today's riches. And Jesus is reminding us to be satisfied with what we have and share what we have. I'm thinking it might be interesting after worship today, if anyone is willing for us um, to hold off for the ladies who take the plates and downstairs, but to maybe walk down our steps with a couple of juice plates and bread plates and just see if anyone would want to share our bread and our juice? If so, I invite you to join me uh, following our worship service, following the postlude. How can we be open-palmed? Jesus wants us to remember to be open-palmed. The passing of the peace is a perfect reminder of this as well. When we go up to somebody, well, at least most of us, don't do the fist bump, okay? Open your palms and shake a hand. Or if you prefer and are comfortable, open your arms and share a hug. And pass the peace 
truly of Christ to each other.